Edmonton. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Hello guys and welcome back to a summer rendition of That Sums It All Up. I know it's been a while, uh, you might have forgotten that the podcast existed, I almost did, but we're back on and it means we've got lots to discuss. It's crazy to think that Friday evening will be kicking off a new Premier League season at Brentford. You see we had the Euros during the summer and now we're straight back into it. I know uh, my guest today, Mr Johnny Rosen, who we'll introduce shortly, is uh, very excited for it. Obviously, the Arsenal part of it, but he's uh, he's a football fantasy football fanatic, so he's he's very excited for sort of more football to to enter our lives. And I think a lot of football fans will probably be excited for it as well. Um, there's been there's been a hole in our hearts uh, as the domestic season has been put on pause, and that hole is about to be filled, hopefully in in a positive way from an Arsenal perspective. In any case, as I said, we've got so much to talk about. We're going to sort of rattle through it, have a little catch up. Uh, on today's podcast, we're going to talk about uh, the state of affairs in the transfer window, and then we're going to rattle through Arsenal's pre-season shenanigans. It's safe to say that it perhaps didn't go as wonderfully as we might have wanted it to, but we'll, we'll have some words on that. And then we're going to look ahead to the Brentford game, of course, because that is on Friday. It kicks off the whole Premier League season, so very exciting. It will be fun to watch Arsenal sort of open open, open proceedings. So, welcome back to the podcast, Johnny. Uh, it's been a while. How are you on this fine August evening? I'm good. I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be back on the pod. I've, I've missed it a lot. It's been, I was just saying, you know, fantasy football was, as you mentioned, I'm a bit of a fanatic. It was a big hole in my life over the past few months without any football. But so is this podcast. A slightly smaller hole, but uh, I've missed <laughs> it still, you know, regardless. And I'm, I'm happy to be back with you over Zoom, you know, recording this infamous Arsenal podcast. Well, Arsenal and wider football podcast for this episode. But yeah, in general, doing well. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, actually. Just back in London at the moment, working. I'm sure you know you know the grind as well. You're working as well. Um, that sort of thing. Had, had been fortunate enough to sort of do a bit of, bit of holidaying, but only around England. Um, went to a music festival, which was very fun. And yeah, I was sort of looking ahead. I see, I saw it looked fun. Looked very yeah, fun. it was it was great. It was it was a great atmosphere. And I think, you know, it was nice to sort of be in a in a different space and sort of uh ambience with lots of people sort of basically in a big field, all in the same mindset and and yeah, it was lovely, actually. But yeah, like you, I'm sort of thinking, I'm refocusing my lens, my perspective towards towards Arsenal. And there has been pre-season stuff going on. We've obviously finished pre-season now, pretty much. I mean, I guess we've technically got a few days left because Arsenal kick off the Premier League season on Friday against newly promoted Brentford. We, we travel to Brentford on, I think it's eight o'clock on Friday. That's when kickoff is. And yeah, it's crazy to think that another season will be starting and there's lots lots to talk about sort of Arsenal transfer-wise and what still needs to be done, what we hope will be done, the state of affairs um, inside the club. And so, yeah, we're actually going to start 
I mentioned transfers, but I think we should probably start with with the, probably the biggest football story um, of well for a while, and it's sort of gone Ever. under the radar a bit. Ever, yeah, but it's sort of. Maybe I don't know ever. about you, but it seems slightly minor. I don't know if that's your impression of it, but it seems. This is, this, this is a Ramsdale not being included in the squad tonight, like the Carabao Cup. That's what you're talking yeah. about. Just so yeah, yeah. So I think of that course. very clearly sets up his move to Arsenal for thirty million. You know, going on that end. Yeah, it's not nothing think... to do with metal. No, no, I, th- I think Ramsdale's trying to force his hand and, and force a £40 million, including add-ons move to oh, Arsenal. Um, that would be a great use of resources. But yeah, Lionel Messi to PSG. Um, he landed in Paris uh, today of recording, which is Tuesday. I mean, it's kind of crazy that, you know, he's going to be joining PSG. I think everyone thought that he'd probably end up staying at Barcelona. Uh, I think he was under that impression and so were the club. And now he's going to be starting up front with with Neymar reunited, obviously, Mbappe, crazy. I mean, I thought today, I was just as I was thinking about it, he's going to be in the same starting eleven as Sergio Ramos, who he's played against for for you know twenty years and had so many encounters with him. It's just such a weird thought. Um, I don't know if you thought about that. And obviously, they've signed um, Gini Wijnaldum on a free transfer, uh, Giorgio Donnarumma on a free transfer. So they are looking pretty strong um come to think of it and yeah so what did you make of the Lionel Messi sort of uh well what happened I mean it, well, it's taken me a while in all honesty to get my head around it the news sort of broke on Thursday I believe that he was that obviously basically Barcelona so for a bit of context for those who don't understand the rules and why he wasn't able to sign his contract with Barcelona because it was agreed um mm. so the legal rules basically state that up to 70% of um, a club's revenue can be matched by their wage bill. So that just met, I mean, basically, it's quite obvious what that means. With Messi signing this contract, it would have meant that 110% of the wage bill would have accounted for 110% of Barcelona's revenue for next season or predicted revenue, right? So they're already in debt straight away off the back of it. Mm. With Messi not signing this contract, still their wage bill accounts for 95% of the revenue coming in to the club this season. So they still need to somehow cut 25% uh, off their wage bill to get to that 70% threshold where they can then sort of be an active participant in the Liga. And that's not. this isn't me saying they're not going to, you know, participate in the Liga Barcelona. But it's why um, Sergio Aguero, um, Depay, uh, Emerson Royale and Eric Garcia, their four new signings this summer, haven't been registered for the league yet. And why, you know, Miriam Pjanic is kind of probably going to go back to Juventus. Samuel Titi is on the transfer list, as are sort of multiple other players at Barcelona, because they just need to shed wages Coutinho is another one and so that's a bit of the context behind what led Barcelona because this was all from Barcelona's end just saying Messi to Messi we want you you want us we've got an agreement but the the rules and the laws of the league just will not allow this to happen because it will saddle you know Barcelona with so much debt and they're already in around 1.3 billion euros worth of debt that it was just um, 
incomprehensible uh, financially to get this deal over the line because it would have just ruined them financially. So then PSG very quickly stepped in. And from my knowledge, and as you know, I'm a bit of a transfer fanatic, but um, as far as I'm aware, um, no other club seriously inquired uh, to Messi or to Messi's father, who acts as his representation. And, um, and PSG basically saw this deal from three angles, uh, all on different levels. So you've got the lowest level is basically he's an incredible footballer and, um, and they're replicating that sort of Galactica Real Madrid team when you had Ronaldo, Zidane, Raul, Roberto Carlos, Figo, um, all in the same team. And now you've got Neymar, Messi, Di Maria, um, Mbappe, Sergio Ramos, as you mentioned, uh, Verratti, all in the same team. So they're replicating that. And then on a kind of mid-level, there's the sort of financial reward PSG will get for bringing Messi to the French League. It will make the French TV rights uh, go up. It will bring a higher viewership to French football. It will make the league more entertaining. PSG will obviously sell a hell of a lot of merchandise with Messi and whatever number he is on the back. Mm. Um, and then from the high level, and this is what really pushed the, or sealed the deal for PSG, is PSG are effectively a branch of the Qatari nation state. Obviously, the World Cup next year is being held in Qatar. And you can now make a very good argument that three of the four most um, sort of powerful in terms of social media uh, status footballers all play for PSG. So other than Cristiano Ronaldo, you've got Neymar, Messi, and um, and Mbappe. And with all the controversy and everything that's gone on behind the Qatar World Cup, the Qatari Sovereign Wealth Fund and the branch of that that owns PSG just saw this as a soft power opportunity that cannot be missed to get these huge global icons. Um, behind the Qatar World Cup and have them speaking out consistently for the next year to year and a half in favour of the World Cup, which will um, kind of balance out the kind of sort of condemnation parts of the Qatar, the, the parts of the Qatari World Cup bid and the process of the stadium building and the human rights issues involved in the Qatar World Cup have um, have received. So that's sort of a bit of a breakdown on why this move has happened uh, with PSG specifically. And as, as I said, it's really that soft power, which is the high tier um, kind of factor that's been the most important into, as to why kind of PSG have financially committed this much money to, to mm. signing Messi, which is just to outline the figures. He'll receive a 25 million euro signing on fee and a minimum of 25 million euros each season as a base salary. There's then add-ons on top of that, which could take it to between 35 and 45 million euros. Uh, it's a two-year contract with an option for a third. So that's, that's a bit about the messy move. But yeah, it's, it really is, I think, the, the biggest, not in terms of finances, because the Neymar deal dwarfs it, the Mbappe deal dwarfs it, but in terms of kind of, wow, this is insane. I can't imagine Messi playing for anyone else. And in my opinion, he's the best footballer to ever play football, certainly in, in our lifetimes. Um, mm. it's, it, it, it's crazy. It's really crazy. It is. It is. And uh, wow, that, that was quite the, the breakdown of, of sort of the intricacies behind the Messi deal. I think also, you know, like 
yeah, another thing we should mention is is the the fact that you know Lionel Messi was very close or wanted to leave Barcelona last summer, and there was very re- real sort of concrete interest from Manchester City, um, who would have sort of done the same thing as PSG acted in the same way. You know, you have all those different factors. The first factor being that he's a great footballer. He would have come to the Premier League. The sort of um, the reach that that would have, and then you know merchandise and and broadcast revenue and all the sort of pull factors that Messi brings. But then you know um, Manchester City this summer uh, were were clear in their intentions. They they've just signed Jack Grealish for a hundred million pounds. They're they're looking to sign Harry Kane, so they weren't interested in in Messi. I don't know if there would have been anyone else who would have been interested in Messi and. It just seemed like PSG was the logical destination. And of course, they have the, the financial uh, power to, to bring someone like Messi um, to Paris, even though, you know, it's a free transfer. As you say, it, it was not, uh, it's not going to be cheap at all. So, yeah, yeah let, let, let's leave that on Messi for a second. Um, and we just mentioned another transfer. We'll just rattle through, through a few more because there have been some big moves. Jack Grealish has obviously joined... Uh, Manchester City from Aston Villa in uh, a British world record fee transfer, £100 million. Um, we've seen Danny Ings join from Southampton. Uh, I think that was £25 million odd. They've signed Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen. They've signed Emi Buendia earlier in the window. Um, what do you make of the Grealish transfer? I mean, I, you look to the other side of Manchester, They've uh, Manchester United have obviously signed Jadon Sancho uh, Rafa Varane, I think. I don't know if that's completely been confirmed yet, but it's it's pretty he, he much done. Yeah, he underwent the first part of his medical tonight in, in Manchester, as far as I'm aware, and that will be announced imminently. I mean he won't he won't be available, I think, for the for the weekend. Um mm. but I, I would be surprised if it it could well be announced before before United play Leeds uh this coming mm. weekend. But um yeah, that that Grealish deal, I think. Well, from my from my perspective, that was always going to happen. And I think if you listened, I don't know if you listened to the sort of five minute video that one of the execs uh, at Aston Villa put out after the transfer, which was sort of mm. explaining uh, that there was a hundred million pound release clause in his contract, and that was inserted last season when he renewed. And uh, City were the only serious club interested at meeting that, you know, price and triggering the clause. Um, but but I've been saying, and, and I have a, you know, my my girlfriend's dad is a huge City fan, and I've been telling him, mm. for, you know, the last month that Grealish will one hundred percent get done this summer. Uh, that's what I've been hearing the whole of the summer that City intended to kind of trigger that clause, and and personal terms mm. are never going to be an issue. And I think we've seen that. Aston Villa, despite what they've said publicly, were also aware of that because they went out and signed Buendia for 35 million really early doors. They then mm. obviously um, were quite intent on pursuing a deal for Smith Rowe, um, which I'm mm. sure we'll touch briefly. There was never, you know, any kind of temptation by Arsenal to cash in on on ML Smith Rowe, but they looked at they looked at him and ta- and kind of what Leon Bailey has now become because Smith Rowe can sort of do a job on the flanks or maybe Buendia would have done um, the the sort of right-sided role that Leon Bailey might do at Villa. But that was one they looked at. And then Danny Ings, I didn't think anyone really knew about until it got announced. Came out of nowhere. I I can't remember. 
completely, completely out of the radar. Um, and, you know, you know me and you know I'm constantly monitoring um, transfer news sort of 24-7. And uh, some of the people I speak to and I monitor had no idea. I had no idea. And it's a, it's a really great signing. It's, it's 25 million plus, an, plus a 5 million in add-ons so it could hit 30. Mm. And uh, maybe they overpaid a bit for, uh, for, an, for a slightly older striker. But... Mm. I think in terms of the quality of finisher he is, that he's mm. got to be right up there with one of the best finishers in the league. I think bar sort of Harry Kane, uh, Lukaku coming in, I'm sure which we'll talk about, maybe a Bamiang. It's probably, it's probably right up there Ings, as a, a pure finisher. He's yeah. really, really good. You know, it's an elite level finisher. And, and what, what, the, what they were saying at Villa is they very kind of cleverly um, shifted that over-dependence on Grealish and spread his attributes over three, not maybe not elite world-class players like Jack Grealish, but, you know, still very good. I would argue mm. all three of those players that they've signed are Champions League calibre players in Buendia, Leon Bailey and, uh, and Danny Ings. And, yeah. uh, and they've definitely made their squad a lot stronger. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I know I'm talking a lot about the transfers, but it's, it's, it's a bit of my passion. You can, no, you can tell. No, it's great. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's it's great to see Villa sort of sign quite exciting players to bring to the Premier League. Um, you know, Danny Ings is a proven goal scorer in the league and he's signed for £30 million. I mean... Southampton will probably say that that's a great deal to receive as well. Danny Ings, <laughs> as a sale for Southampton, I think is also great. You know, he only had, I think, a deal, uh, one year left on his deal. He's obviously a bit older now. He's had injury history, £30 million. Mm. I mean, to be fair, he, he did contribute a lot of their goals. So perhaps we'll see how they'll cope with that. Uh, you know, they struggled anyway last season. So that might be a big, big miss for them. Yeah, moving on quickly to Romelu Lukaku that we mentioned just then. He's obviously going to re- rejoin Chelsea for, I think it's 115 million euros. Slightly surprising because I thought it seemed as if he was going to stay into Milan, uh, even after Antonio Conte sort of left in a, in a bit of a bit of a quick, quick departure. Lukaku was happier into Milan, but I think once Chelsea's interest became concrete and they realised they weren't be able to get um, Haaland this summer, I think... It, it was a simple one. You know, they're paying him a lot of money. They're giving into a great deal and they're getting a proven goal scorer, which is what I think Thomas Tuchel demanded upon signing his his two two year, I think, contract extension that he did sort of a couple of months ago. What, what do you make of Lukaku think, just briefly? No, I think on Lukaku, what, what you just mentioned there was the key point that once Chelsea realised that Erling Haaland was kind of completely off the cards in terms of the amount of money it would have cost to sign him this this summer. Uh, and they looked at their squad, obviously Giroud has left to join AC Milan. Tammy Abraham, we don't really know where he's going to go. Obviously Chelsea have agreed a few with Roma in around kind of 35, 34 million pounds. But Arsenal are pushing hard to sign Tammy Abraham. There's a few other clubs also interested in him. So that really leaves them quite bare up front. Obviously, Mitchie Batshuayi still at the club. Uh, Timo Werner can play through the middle. And Kai Havertz is sort of being moulded into 
an, a, an attacking option, but he's not never was seen as one in, in Germany. So um, so basically, it kind of leaves them with Lukaku, and um, and yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money. 97, 97 and a half million pounds sterling. And um, that's a club a Chelsea. It's a lot of money. I guess the way to counterbalance that, though, is his base salary is 12 million euros a year, uh, which works out at about 230,000 euros a week. So about 200,000 pounds a week, which isn't, um, it's not that top tier. It's not what Aubameyang's on. It's not what Pogba's on. It's not what Sancho's on or... No, it's uh, not. But, but I, I did read that, that that would make him Chelsea's highest paid player. Um, yeah, yeah. It probably which would, is interesting. Yeah, me. But if you actually look through this Chelsea squad, there's not that many... Um, you know, there's no Galacticos in this, this squad. The, you know, it, it's a very cohesive team. Uh, Kante, mm. Mao, um, you know, Rudiger... Mendy, they like your hazards or or David Luiz's or or Courtois of old. It's it's it is it's a more sort of younger, cheaper in terms of weekly wage teams. Well, exactly. Like, that's that's what I was going to say. In terms of transfer fees, they've they've paid more for the, you know, they paid a premium for these for these talented youngsters, but then perhaps the wages are lower. Um but yeah, obviously Lukaku's in, in his prime, sort of this is his last big contract. Um, he's getting yeah. his big move. And so he would have had to have been tempted because he was content at Inter Milan. But yeah, let's let's move it along to Arsenal. Um, again, we'll go through these relatively quickly because I do want to talk about pre-season and get on to Brentford um, before we before we um, sort of yeah put a pause to this for today. Um, ben White's obviously the big one. He's joined Arsenal in... For fifty million pounds, um, and then we've got Albert Sam, Sammy Lekonga, uh, who joined for I think it was seventy around seventeen million, um, and then we've got Nuno Tavares who joined for just under ten million pounds. Um, that's sort of the main business in terms of the incomings at the moment. We're still awaiting an arrival of a central attacking midfielder. Um, obviously, there's rumours with. With James Madison, Martin Erdegaard, I think those are probably the two most likely ones at this moment in time. Personally, I think we're going to wait it out for Erdegaard. I know there's there's uh, whispers of him sort of becoming more certain that his future, or at least his short-term future, does not lie at the burnabout, so he might look to leave. Um, I was listening today to one of the other Arsenal podcasts. I think it was Tim Stillman on the Arsenal Vision podcast, and he thinks that you know the impending 25 million sale of Joe Willock will be used towards um, making a bid for James Madison from Leicester. They're obviously looking for about 60 to 70 million, which I just, I'm not sure how that tallies up when you sort of weigh it up against um, the perhaps maybe 30, 40 million that you might have to pay for Martin Erdegaard. Um, I'll ask you about that in a second. Um, we're, you know, we still need to sign a second, second keeper, perhaps, people are interested in us signing another central midfielder. I mean, I don't know how likely that is now that Granite Jack is staying put, but obviously Thomas Partey is out for the beginning of the season. Him and Mohamed Elneny will disappear off to the African Cup of Nations in January. At right back, we've sort of got a surplus of, of options that perhaps we're not entirely convinced by. Uh, we've got Callum Chambers and Hector Bellerin, who I think are sort of, I don't know who's going to start against Brentford. I think they're both sort of neck and neck first choice. 
And then we've got Cedric Suarez, who I think we all would agree we'd rather not be there, but it's almost the most least likely to leave, perhaps. And then AZ Maitland-Niles, who came on the other day against Spurs and started at right back and then moved into centre mid. Um, he was obviously on loan at West Brom last season. So I'm not sure whether he's going to stick around, but I haven't heard too much about um, a move sort of uh, coming close. I mean, maybe that's one for later in the window, as are many of these moves, perhaps. And then perhaps a forward. But at the moment, you know, we've got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, Alex Lacazette and Eddie Nketiah in their last, into their last year of their contracts. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe we'll sell one of those guys. Perhaps it would more likely be Eddie Nketiah. I think the fact is we're open to selling both of them. We've obviously got um, young uh, Balogun as well, who will be part of the first team squad, I think, this this season. Obviously got his new number, number 26. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the current state of affairs, Arsenal transfer, incomings-wise? Because we'll talk about that briefly before we go about outgoings. So obviously mentioned Joe Willock's going to be leaving for, I think, this initial payment of 20 million, rising to 25 and then we're hoping to sort of get rid of maybe Kalasanac, who's probably more one of the more likely ones. Jack is staying put. Um, you've got uh, Hector Bellerin, who I think we'd like to leave, but looks like he's going to be offered a new deal, perhaps, and stay put, at least for the time being. We mentioned Cedric Suarez, Maitland-Niles, Reese Nelson, Eddie Nketiah, the sort of pale-end boys. It'd be nice to see them maybe follow in Joe Willock's footsteps, because I think we're not necessarily going to have a use for them this season, especially without European football. Lucas Torreira, not really sure where he is at the moment. Um, and then obviously we've already let uh, Matteo Guendouzi go on loan with an obligation to buy. And William Saliba, both to Marseille. So they're, they're, they're teammates this season. I saw that they won their first game of the, the Liga campaign. So look, that's a lot. And, and it's a whole window. And I think more will become clear sort of during this last period of the window where things start to get going and and we've had a few big moves and we might see a sort of domino effect. But where do you stand in terms of Arsenal's transfer business? What do you, what can you tell us and how do you assess sort of what we need to do and what you think we might do? And I realise that's a lot to ask you, but just give me also, your general overview of, of, of Arsenal's transfers at the moment. Um, I think, well, firstly, looking at who we've signed, they're all all those those three players, Tavares, Lokonga, and Ben White, from a from an age profile, very positive. I think they yeah. add um really important attributes that the squad was missing. I think Tavares is the one that kind of is analyzed the easiest and the simplest. And you know, he's a deputy left back to Tierney, who was actually capable of playing football, unlike Kalaznac. I mean, it's really <laughs> simple as that. And Kalasnich, as you mentioned briefly, Arsenal willing to let him go this summer without a transfer fee. Uh, Fenerbahce uh, uh, kind of speaking to him and offering him a contract till maybe 2023 with an option till 2024. So it's now about just getting that deal agreed with, with Arsenal. But that that should go through before the end of the window. Um, but yeah, Tavares, again, it was one of those positions where we needed to sign. And I'm, I'm very happy we've signed kind of the kind of young prospect rather than an old veteran in the mold of like Lichsteiner that we did a few summers ago or Socrates. Or Ryan Bertrand, for example, who went to Leicester. Yeah, I mean, the only difference is, I mean, he's not as old as those players were and he's got, you know, considerable Premier League uh, career 
under him. So he would have, you know, adapt, he wouldn't have had to adapt to the league. But but yeah, I'm much happier we went down this route um, with with Tavares. Lokonga is, is a, a really, really good signing. I think we're, as a fan base, sort of under valuing how good he is. I mean, he was captain mm. of Andalek. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, on the cusp of the Belgium squad for this Euros, who going into the tournament were rated the number one team or nation in the, in the world. Uh, Seventeen and a half million is, is cheap, you know, in, in today's transfer markets, even with COVID, and and he'll be a really good player that will will improve Arsenal's midfield over the next X amount of years. And then the main mm. one is Ben White, and Ben White seems to be a bit of a marmite transfer among some mm. Arsenal fans, especially when you consider the outlay. I think it's a brilliant signing. I think he's really, really consistently solid. He's one of those centre-backs that really was performing at a 7, 8 out of 10 level week in, week out. And it's, it's one of those players that you would have seen Chelsea, City, United, Liverpool sign and then turn into a superstar. And we would have been like, well, that's what we should be doing. We've gone out and done it. He's also homegrown. He's 23. If you consider Spurs have just spent nearly the same amount of money. They spent 47 million on Christian Romero from Atalanta, who's also 23. I don't think there's any debate over who signed the better player and who's got the better deal there. It's Arsenal mm. all day. And we've already <laughs> seen from the glimpse of Ben White just how, um, how assured he is on the ball. Uh, he adds something that really we, we've completely lost with David Luiz. Um, leaving and, and we spoke about this last season I remember we spoke did a podcast after the Arsenal Leicester game when we lost 1-0 we were saying once David Luiz went off injured we lost all our attacking impetus there was no diagonal switch of plays no one was carrying out the mm. ball from the back we ended up getting you know pipped on the break and losing that match and so Ben White brings that but he adds more to it because he's faster than David Luiz he's younger he's a better defender um and, and he reminds me a bit of that sort of Kashalny Vermalen sort of figure. Um, so mm. he doesn't have the injury record that either of them had. But, but in terms of defending style and, and technical ability, brilliant, brilliant signing. I'm really, really pleased with him. And then you yeah. mentioned the outgoings. I guess it kind of you know, leaves a bit more to be desired, I think from Arsenal in terms of the outgoings. It is a tough window, especially mm. teams in the continent don't have the money to spend. Getting 25 million for Willock will be uh, will be a very good deal, no matter how much I think we so. like him. But yeah, because he's an academy player, we like him more, but it's an Awobi-esque deal. It's an Oxlade-Chamberlain-esque deal, and, and it's really good money. And, um, and yeah, Torreira... Don't know what's really happening with him. He's sort of gone AWOL. I think he's in Spain at the moment. Um, yeah, I think there. I saw, I, I saw on his Instagram that he was in Madrid training. Yeah. So maybe he's sort of based there. That's where he was living during his time. Um, obviously at Atletico. But I just want to quickly, yeah, take it back to um, Ben White. I think you know the fifty million price tag. It's obviously going to be spread out over over several years, and. Yeah. I think a lot of people were, 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Because a lot of people like Arsenal to spend loads of money. But I think more often than not, and more recently, I think people have been understanding that Arsenal actually do spend the money, but have perhaps not spent it very well. And I think, yeah, there's there's obvious sort of um, hesitancy as to, well, Ben White, he's, you know, he was part of a Brighton defence that sort of just about managed to secure their status in the Premier League. And, you know, he's only had one full season in the Premier League and he played at Leeds and he was very impressive. But, yeah, it's £50 million. Pounds. It's a lot. Should we be prioritising our our sort of funds at centre-back? Um, I think it was very important to do that. I mean, I know, look, we, we thought that maybe I was under the impression that maybe William Saliba would come back in and would compete with Rob Holding from that right centre-back spot. But clearly that was not ever a possibility. So, look, if, if Ben White is the player who will be our uh, centre-back for the next, you know, 10 years or something like that, five, 10 years, then great. And like you say, he's got all of those sort of, uh, all those profile uh, points that that make him an attractive player for Arsenal to have, um, but yeah, those those outgoings. I mean, like you say, it is a tough window, and I think maybe we will see a bit more happen over the next month as the window draws to a close. I think it is important because I think we are we're reliant on funds from those players to sort of boost the coffers and and invest in, you know, an attacking midfielder or, or in any, un, any other positions because we've spent a fair bit of money already. And I think we need to generate and, some money because we've still got a bloated squad. Yeah, go on. Well, and it, it's, a, it's a domino effect. So, for instance, we we are actively looking at bringing in a, a striker, a sort of 24-year-old striker to bridge the gap between Aubameyang and Balogun. Either Lacazette or Nketiah could go. They're both on sort of the transfer list, if you would, of what clubs know who's available and whatnot. Mm. Um, but without shifting at least one of those strikers, we can't then go ahead and green light bringing in another striker because you just can't have a squad with five strikers in. It's not That's not sustainable, especially if you also put Martinelli in that bracket uh, who can play mm. through the middle. Talking about the number 10, I think um, well, what I've heard is is financially we we have a deal ready for Odegaard. That's Arteta's number mm. one priority. It's his number one target for that position. And Arsenal are just waiting um, for him to either agitate for a move or for Real Madrid to say, oh, we, we need we need to sell him or he's not part of our plans and then to, to sort out a deal. But uh, the, the 25 million from Willock I will probably be part of that deal. But I think even without it, that's a move that the, the board and Josh and Stan Kroenke would have been prepared to sanction uh, on a permanent mm. basis. And James Madison, uh, I don't know where he falls into it. Probably a backup, probably a player that Arsenal would admire. But, and, um, and James said this on the most recent Ars blog, or Arscast is he's the he's kind of agitating for the move from his side and, and sees Arsenal as a step up from Leicester, which it, it is. We're a bigger club and we offer higher wages, um, regardless of where either team have finished in the last two or three seasons. And um, and that's sort of being pushed and driven more from the Madison camp, I think, than the Arsenal hierarchy, who I would hope have scouted out several attacking midfielders in the event that mm. Odegaard stays in the game, but he's really 
the the golden child for for that attacking machine. Yeah, and and I think and I think it's in a way it's it's refreshing to see us sort of it's refreshing to see us go for our sort of number one target. But you know, if Erdegaard's sort of waiting it out, and I appreciate he's going to want to give it as big a chance as possible to stay at Real Madrid. You know, we are risking ending up without him. If he clearly his heart is in an ideal world, he'd be staying at Real Madrid. And I know Arsenal are a second to, to Real Madrid, but you know, it is a risky game. And we saw earlier in the summer fans were sort of quite upset. I mean, who cares what fans think really? But the fact that we didn't really properly try and sign Emi uh, Buendia, you know, there was a sort of half-hearted bid perhaps to match Aston Villa, but it, it appeared that he wasn't really first choice. And it does, you know, I'm, I'm quietly confident that we will get our man, but it is slightly worrying, I suppose, to see that we haven't acquired him yet and he's still part of Real Madrid's plans. I, I think I don't think he, he played uh, in their most recent pre-season friendly, or at least he didn't start. So perhaps that's a sign of encouragement. But um, yeah, I mean, some people are saying that Edu's not doing enough. Uh, Arteta... I mean, let's just talk. Let's let's talk about this quickly. Do you think Arteta will be? He seemed perhaps a bit frustrated at, at uh, questions asked about transfers. I mean, he's probably bored to hell with it. But do you think that he is frustrated that maybe we're not shifting some of the same players that he wants to get rid of, and he hasn't got certain players that he wants? Um, I think I, maybe a bit. I I, I think Arteta's sort of very aware of how he presents himself to the public and and it's a curate it may be quite a kind of curated frustration that he's presenting. He I have no doubt that he understands the sort of intricacies and complexities of this specific summer market, given the fact that, you know, basically every major league other than the Premier League is 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 broke, uh, for want of a better mm. word. And um, and he's he's reasonable in that he accepts some of these players have to leave, and if we've got to sort of cut a deal for them to go, then they're going to go. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I honestly, and we'll probably you'll find out a bit about this when we chat about preseason stuff. Is I've, I've paid very little attention comparatively to how much I usually give Arsenal's preseason this summer, mm. just because I have been kind of busy doing other things, working and focusing on transfers and stuff like that instead, which is where my, my energy has gone. But um, but from what I've seen of Arteta, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if he's, he's too frustrated, to be honest. Yeah, it was just, I mean, let's move on to pre-season now. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again at some point about transfers. And uh, yeah, but Arteta, you know, he seemed a bit, a bit antsy uh, uh, during the Tottenham game. There was that I watched a bit of it and he, he got upset with Hoiberg uh, from Spurs on the touchline and sort of, you know, got got up in his face. And and I saw a funny tweet actually suggesting that, you know, if Arteta was being sanctioned by his own rule book, then, you know, he'd be banished from sort of the Arsenal training ground in the way that maybe Matteo Granduzzi was, which I think was obviously being a bit dramatic. But, you know, to be, sort of behave like that and be... Um, well, I don't know, let your emotions get the better of you. We know that Arteta doesn't really have patience or time for that. Um, but let, yeah, let's let's talk about pre-season more generally. Obviously, the we were supposed to go on tour uh, to America and that was cancelled because of COVID. 
And then we instead had uh, friendlies in Scotland, obviously our, well, your former and and my sort of future continual home. Um, and we lost to, we lost to Hibs and yeah. we drew to, we drew to Rangers. I didn't watch the games, but obviously it's not nice to sort of not win those games. Um, we had a couple behind the clo- behind closed doors friendlies against who was it? It was Watford and Millwall, I think it was. Uh, we won each of those games four one, and then we lost to Chelsea and Spurs in the Mind series played at the Emirates Stadium. Sort of quite mm-hmm. narrowly lost games, but you know, perhaps more in preparation for the start of the season. Uh, yeah. Are you underwhelmed? Are you, are you concerned? Because I know a lot of Arsenal fans probably are a bit concerned after that pre-season, um, just in terms of from a performance perspective. I mean, obviously results don't matter, but what would you take away from that before we talk about the specifics? It's a really hard question for me to answer because other than the Arsenal-Chelsea game, I, I haven't watched any of the other preseason games, um, mm. so I can't comment much on performance. I, I, I wasn't from what I saw of the Chelsea game because that's the only one I watched in full. And by the way, that that was a two-two draw because you know if we just turned yeah. on the goal like technology at the Emirates, which was there, um, Willock's mm. goal clearly crossed the line, and and, and that ends two-two. So. I mean, these results are completely meaningless if, you know, when you're mm. going off of the Novan, the goal and technology. Fine, you know, those Watford and Millwall games were played at the training ground and whatever the Scottish games were, you know, especially the game we lost to Hibs was, was a, you know, massively different squad than what will be turning up to the community stadium at Brentford on Friday. So I'm not I'm not reading into the results at all. It's always nice when you win in pre-season. Mm. But I mean, I think a couple of pre-seasons ago, we beat PSG 5-1 or something and, and it didn't really make much of a difference. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's the results don't mean much. But yeah, the performances, uh, I think, as I said, the, the Chelsea game, I was, I was encouraged by how we were playing on the ball. I thought Ben mm. White... Uh, did a good job covering when he came on at half time. It was about half time in that game. But again, we, we looked very But yeah, and, and you saw that on the goal we conceded. Uh, the first goal, the the Havertz goal, we were we were sort of very open, and Pablo Marie was left two on one, and uh, mm. and that was that was that. But my my biggest takeaway from preseason above everything is is the party injury because that's a big loss for the next three matches, and um, and that's that's one of the reasons why I kind of am pissed off that we agreed to play in this this mind series where those friendlies were never going to be played like friendly games. Saw the Deli Alley tackle on Nicolas Pepe, mm. I'm assuming, in, in the game on, on Sunday. Xhaka went in very hard on one of the Chelsea players uh, when we played them. And, and it was just... Was, was yeah, I, I, I agree. And that, that Tottenham game was definitely quite fiery. And 
I think it is quite strange to be playing Tottenham, you know, sort of less than a week before, you know, the Premier League season kicks off. And maybe it was it was in part influenced by the fact that we had our pre-season cancelled and, you know, we hadn't maybe been tested in the way that we would have wanted to. But, you know, it's to play Chelsea and Spurs at the Emirates just before uh, the, pre, uh, the, the whole, full season kicks off and, you know, you've got morale and all these things going into it. They wouldn't have liked to have lost to Chelsea and Spurs, um, you know, one game at the Emirates, one game at, at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. You know, Aubameyang, I think, is a bit of a concern perhaps as well. Um, obviously, the Partey injury is probably number one, but you know, he hadn't scored during pre-season, I don't think. And mm-hmm. he's still looking slightly off it, especially when he plays on the left. Pablo Marie, I thought, for me, was was looking quite sceptical, um, sort of his quality of defending and just positioning and he's looking less and less convincing the more I see of him to be honest um, Mohamed Elneny I really don't want to see start a Premier League game but look those were some of the like you say some of the maybe worrying things but positive look um, look I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a couple and you give me a couple um, Emil Smith-Rowe obviously fresh off signing his new contract he's looked really sharp bits and pieces that I've seen of him obviously in his number 10 shirt Kai Saka's back as well. He got a few minutes against Spurs. That was nice. Um, do you want to have a word on 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 how the new signings have looked as well? Yeah, I think they've all looked really good. I, I always like when a new signing scores. So when Tavares scored against Rangers, uh, yeah. and I love he actually took that goal really well on his right foot, which is something he even mentioned in his sort of post-signing interview on Arsenal.com that he's... Uh, mm. competent with his right foot which is again more than can be said about say Kalasnach um, but yeah Lukonga really is the one that's probably surpassed expectations when in, in pre-season I think everyone saw him like, yeah I think I think people saw well Gwenduzi came in similar age played a lot of football and it all kind of went um, went badly or ended badly as he's now left the club. And I, they're obviously different personalities, but I think people thought, well, is going to come in and he's going to be given a bit part role to, to sort of offset what happened with Guendouzi. But he's come in and he looks ready-made and, and definitely looks like a, a much better uh, fill-in for party than El Menu over the next kind of two or three games. And well, He's um, going to start against Brentford, hopefully. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, I, no, I hope so. It would. It, may, it definitely makes us a better. We're a better team with him in compared to our many. And then Ben mm. White, who's obviously only really played. I think he played about what 60, 75 minutes against uh, against Spurs, and then played a half against Chelsea. But from from the sort of highlights reel I saw on Twitter after the Spurs game, again looked looked very competent. He obviously kept a clean sheet while he was on the pitch. Uh, did mm. some very nice sweeping up um, manoeuvres of just kind of getting to like a through ball ahead of say Son and then just passing Kami back to Leno or out wide to a fullback and and we'd sort of build possession from there which which we we've again we've lacked since Kashani left so that that was a, that was really nice to see but yeah mm. then look definitely like every preseason there's pros and cons I'm sort of in the camp that with the season pros like Aubameyang, 
let's not overanalyze their preseason too much because he's not yeah. he's not for his place in the team. He's the club captain. He's the highest paid player, and he's probably you know still the best player of the club. And um, and you know he's you know another day that sort of bicycle kick assist or whatever it was that he did in one of those friendlies at London Colney yeah. goes in. And, uh, yeah. and we're having a different conversation or the tapping that he sort of lazily uh, attempted to score in Scotland goes in and and let, let's see how he plays on Friday uh, and then yeah. against uh, Chelsea City and judge him off those games rather than what, yeah. what are meaningless sort of cardio exercises at the end of it. I think the only thing I'd say on that is that perhaps... Look, there have been encouraging moments where he where he gets into those positions that you want him to be in, but it it seems maybe it's sort of just comparing it to the end of last season. But it seems quite familiar uh, seeing him sort of peripheral, not scoring, um, and there's this pressure because obviously, as you said, he's club captain, highest paid player, and you know some of the people that I've spoken to and and discussions that I've seen been going on, people are questioning whether he will actually start and people are weighing up whether he starts over Aubameyang if, if Bukayo Saka is ready to come straight back in uh, I'm sure Arteta's Mikel Arteta's dying to have him straight back in I don't know if he will start but you know who who plays up front but we know that Lacazette's maybe that type of player that profile of player is more is, is preferred but as you say maybe we don't read too much into pre-season but at the same time you think you use that pre-season as the basis for Sort of practicing what you're gonna what you're gonna do throughout the season. Um, look, let's. I, I just want to say one more thing as well before we just preview Brentford briefly and, and we and we finish for today. Um, I think Gabriel. Um, obviously, he's not quite back fully fit yet. He he was injured. Um, Gabriel Martinelli's back as well, um, so hopefully he'll be fit too. But I think Ben White and hopefully Gabriel will make a great partnership at the back. In terms of their, yeah. their contrasting qualities, I think you know they're both physically capable. I think Ben White's quality on the ball is perhaps not Gabriel's strength, but I think they're both defenders who can bring the ball out. And Gabriel's perhaps better in the air. Um, they've got the profiles which perhaps we've lacked um, in in the past. And obviously Gabriel's a bit bit bigger physically than Ben White, yeah. but I like that partnership on paper, and I'm looking forward to see it. Likewise with obviously Partey and. I guess it's going to be Xhaka, but that was a partnership that that worked well when when they did play together. Um, so look, let's let's move on to Brentford quickly. Uh, give me your predicted lineup. That's the predicted lineup for for Brentford. Well, I just say this is uh, as I mentioned to you off air. I, I obviously played for Brentford from under ten to sort of under twelve, under thirteen level uh, when before they shut down their academy. So I'm very conflicted. Uh, in mm. this, in the game, not sure who I should be rooting for, but um, leaning towards the Arsenal side of things, I guess. I think, well, Leno obviously in goal, right mm. back, probably Callum Chambers. I mean, Bellerin started the North London derby, but I don't know if that was mm. a shop window exercise or not. Um, I, I would say Chambers and Tierney at full back. Ben White mm. will start right centre-back. And um, some people have been talking about Rob Holding starting. I think Pablo Marie will keep his place because Arteta very much values having a left-footed centre-back in the team. Mm. 
Midfield, Lokonga and Xhaka, uh, with Smith mm. Rowe ahead of them in a 4-2-3-1. I, th- I think Pepe starts. I'm not sure where. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure Saka starts this early. So I don't know if Pepe then starts on the right and then Aubameyang maybe starts on the left or potentially Willian. Um, but... Again, that's probably unlikely, seeing as he wasn't in the North London derby squad. I would say Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette. That's mm. what I would go off. And I think Saka will be on the bench. And I think Martinelli might be on the bench or he might not be in the squad because he's only just gotten back from Tokyo. Um, and, and yeah, well, that's not a bad starting lineup. We're obviously missing... Gabriel and Party, who would both automatically be starting in that in our strongest eleven, as would Saka. But you, you're always kind of a couple light on the first day of the season, and there's always rotation. But yeah, yeah. It, should, it should should be a good game. I'm not I'm not exactly optimistic by any any stretch of the imagination. What about and that, what, and, what that's, and, and that's great because you know I remember last year we played Fulham, newly promoted side. Started with a three 0 away win. It was very positive, very exciting. Um, and if we're not feeling as confident before this game, then it's a sign of sort of maybe the general consensus among Arsenal fans at the moment. But yeah, no, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Sort of Friday night football, um, the Premier League curtain raiser, and yeah, I, I sort of predict the same lineup as you. I think um, maybe Bellerin starts. I think there might be a slight chance that Saka starts, but like you, I think he'll most likely start on the bench. And yeah, it will be interesting to see how that how that goes down. Um, but yeah, it's a must win really, isn't it? Yeah, oh well, I think every game uh, this season, because of the lack of European football, all 38 Premier League games have to be viewed as kind of cup finals in themselves because the aim really is to get us back into that top six. So you know, we have to start the season, especially given the fact that we played Chelsea and City uh, in our next two games, who we were the two you know, bloody Champions League finalists last season. Mm. We've got to... Yeah, I still think... Look, Brentford are a very good side. They're very well organised. And Ivan Tony, they've got a very, very good striker who will, you know, if he's given a chance is likely to take it or at least test Leno. But um, but they're still a newly promoted side and we should still be going in there as favourites and we should still be going in there with a much, you know, a sort of superior mentality that if we just play our game, player for player, we're better than them uh, in all 11 positions, I would argue. And um, and that that should lead to a win. Uh, it might take 60, 65 minutes to break them down, but we have that bit of quality, whether that be Pepe, Smith-Rowe, Aubameyang, um, Tierney from left-back to to just sort of unlock unlock the door. But uh, yeah, it should be a good one. A few, few interesting facts. that If Lacazette scores the first goal in this game, he'll be the first ever player to score the opening goal of a season in, uh, in three different Premier League seasons. And um, and also, the Brentford's last ever top flight game in 1947 was against Arsenal. So they've gone full circle 
and their first game in 74 years is now against Arsenal in 2021. Wow. So a few, few good little factoids there for, wow. for the listeners. Wow. Well, what a way, what a way to to conclude that podcast. I think you know, good on Brentford as well. But those are some so those are some great little uh, conclusive uh, facts to finish on. So look, let's leave it there for today. Uh, pleasure as always, Johnny. Uh, thanks again for your time, and hopefully we'll catch you again soon. I'm sure you'll be watching on yeah. Friday. Thank you for having me on the pod as always. It's uh, of course, of course. Yeah, you can find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny Rosen One, and be sure to follow Transfer Football Transfer News official on Facebook and Football Transfer News underscore official on Instagram for all the freshest updates on the, during the transfer window. Quick reminder: you can find all the episodes and sort of future episodes of that sums it all up on my Mixcloud page. That's www.mixcloud.com forward slash Alfie uh, dash Steiner. Uh, you can also access all the shows via my Twitter at Alfie Steiner One. Uh, everyone enjoy your week and up the Arsenal for Friday and until next time take it easy goodbye <laughs>